0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
2: Are you wondering if it's worth even having your car? There's a couple of things going on here. You might own a car and you commute to work and you walk to get your groceries and you live in town and you don't want to pay for insurance or reg or any of that stuff. Or if you've got your car and you do want to keep it, is it worth sending it out and making some money when you're not using it? Well, this episode, it's going to scratch every itch in your car body I am chatting with Will Davies, who is the CEO and co-founder of Car Next Door, Australia's largest peer-to-peer car sharing platform. We're gonna answer all the questions that you've got in your mind and you're in for a real treat with this episode. Let's get it on Will welcome to My Millennial Money. Thanks very much, Glenn. Nice to nice to be here. Now a lot of people might not know of Car Next Door. Can you perhaps give us the elevator pitch uh, about what it is, and then we might rewind and have a bit of a chat around? You know, you seeing a need in the marketplace and the reasons why, and then how you started it.
0: Yeah, no problems. So the uh, the super. If you've only got one level on the elevator, I would say that Car Next Door is like the Airbnb for for cars. That's the super quick thing if you want to try to conceptualise it. But then to break it down a little bit, little bit more, uh, essentially there is millions of Australians who have a car that they hardly ever use. Our platform creates a way for those people to add, add their car to our platform. Uh, so it's, it's individuals renting out their cars. They set their price and availability. And then we, and if someone wants to use that car, they, they jump onto car next door they sign up, we verify them once. Once you're verified, you can just book a car, walk straight up to it. Our system lets you in, you drive it, you, you drop it back, and uh, and we charge the person who's borrowed it, and then we, we pay the owner. So, that's that's how it works in a nutshell.
2: Wow. Okay. So, it's almost like this social sharing for cars or crowdsourcing cars.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's kind of... Yeah, taking all those cars, sitting around doing nothing all the time and putting them to use.
2: Yeah. Now, how long ago did you start it and what made you want to do this?
0: Uh, So, we started in our first booking was pretty much, well, it was actually Christmas Eve 2012. Uh, So, effectively, we started in 2013. Um, The reason for wanting to do this was a bit different than usual. I had a mortgage-breaking business, which I'd been in for seven or eight years. I started that when I was 21. And as I got older, I was becoming increasingly concerned with the amount of environmental destruction that humans are causing to the planet in kind of everything, you know, the amount of waste and plastics and the damage we're doing to rivers and waterways and, you know, so on and so forth. But I think the most pressing issue that humans have at the moment is is carbon emissions this is just the level of our carbon emissions i think it's got the ability to cause wide scale havoc to everything in the world and so i made the decision back in 20 uh, or 20, 2008 that i wanted to focus all my attention on reducing carbon emissions so yeah i was a mortgage broker couldn't work out for the life of me how mortgage broking was going to be re- helping reduce carbon emissions and so Made the decision to sell that business, and then I went hunting for a business uh, that that primarily was going to reduce carbon emissions, and then secondly, um, it needed to be. I needed to think that it was going to be a successful business because if you can't make it a successful business, then you're not going to be able to scale it or, or, or do anything. So, um, so that that was that was my that was my list, and um, the be- basically the best idea that I could come up with was at the time. Was peer-to-peer car sharing i'd been a um a car sharing user where a company owns all the cars um, but then you're kind of walking past 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 individual cars in order to get to this company-owned one i was like well why don't we start using those cars instead
2: at the time it would have been in the infancy of airbnb and uber is that correct
0: yeah, it was, uh, I, mean, I hadn't heard of Uber. Uber was super early. Um, Airbnb had been going for a year or so. Uh, and there was a few fledgling, very fledgling efforts um, in the peer-to-peer car sharing around the world as well. So there was one in America called uh, Turo and they had maybe just had their first few bookings. I was kind of looking at them pretty closely. They're about to list probably for $3 billion um, in the US at the moment, so... Yeah, they've grown over time, but back then, everything was a nothing.
2: Yeah. Wow. And how did you go about the transition from, oh, crap, because, and part of the reason I wanted to talk to you, Will, was like, there are people listening who might be in a job that they don't hate. They might be in a job that they, or a career that they don't hate, but they do want to do something a little bit more with meaningfulness and all that stuff. Like, You're, and we can talk about it soon, but you've got a a team of uh, remote staff all around Australia uh, and I believe some in Asia. How did you, like, did you do a, a little prototype? Did you float the concepts with friends and family members to say, hey, does this make sense? Because the problem I think a lot of new tech has, right, and I was talking to a company the other day when, you know, different companies want to partner with us on the podcast, I say, you've got two problems. Number one, people don't know the actual thing that you're doing and they don't get the concept. And number two, they don't know your brand name anyway. So, you're doing this educational piece, right, about this is what the concept is and this is how it works. By the way, this is our company name. So, how did you navigate through with researching without going all in to test the market?
0: Yeah, it's a good good question. Uh, so, I guess to sort of go back a step. What, what I, what I did was I went through a process and I would strongly recommend that anyone do this because I think it's universal. I started with like, what do I, what do I love? Like what, what is, what's at the core of my purpose in life? Um, so that's, that was my starting point. And the decision that I made, and this is going to be different for everyone is that I, I want to protect the environment. So then that's my sort of, Guiding light. Everything that I do has to be in that direction, especially with with what business that I choose. And then I, I think the other thing is, and and this is where the you know the successful business, the potential to be a successful business, is all right, So this is what I love. Now, what's something that I can do that's really useful and that is going to have a significant positive impact on the world uh, in that in that realm of you know reducing carbon emissions. So whether it's carbon emissions or bringing people together or I, I don't know what it is, but I think it's just so important to uh, to, to make your decisions, especially those big decisions in life about what you're going to do w- with those big questions in mind. And I think it makes it a lot harder to go wrong. Like, if you're if you're truly doing something that you love, and and you're not just chasing some money for it. And if you're if you if you're trying to do something that's going to have a really big positive impact, the chances of success, I think, are a lot higher than if you like. Oh, I'm going to. Here's a good little snazzy idea. I might run with that for a while. So, with that in mind, kind of got to that point. You know, this is what I love. I think that this could be really something. So then, what I did was I um, I needed to work out if there is demand for, for this. Is for my business. I, well, but I'm sure that this is very quite um, interchangeable. I, basically, saying right. Can I, do I believe that there is going to be enough demand for a service like this? And do I believe that there is going to be, I'm going to be actually able to get people to list their cars and create the supply? So I broke it down to those two questions. So on the supply side, I sent all my mates an email and said with a quick survey, you know, here's what I'm thinking about. Would you share your car out and earn some money off it? And 30% of them said that they, they would and I thought well gee, that's pretty good if I can get 30% of the cars then yeah you know, I probably only need a quarter of a percent of the cars for this to be good so I mean you gotta be careful about these surveys people often they're often very wrong but you want a big margin but that's yeah. a pretty good indicator and then on the um on the demand side I I took a look at a big like existing car sharing company at the moment and just sort of looked at how often their cars got booked just by looking at their system did that for a few weeks and thought shit, they're actually really busy um, and then I also took a look at this sort of fledgling version of us in America, and they seem to be getting a few bookings. So that was the that was the guts of the research that I did. Let, let's just say at the end of doing all of that, maybe my odds of success were ten percent or fifteen percent. So at the end of the day, I think that you just have to make an irrational decision that you've got all the information that you can possibly get at the moment, and you're just going to have to you know have a crank and and. And, and dive in there so you know then then it's about well okay how have I got enough money to be able to survive for x x months in order to be able to do it and what's my plan after that period so for me it was like all right well I'm going to give this a year I've got enough money for 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 a good solid year of this and I, I put a chunk of money in myself and then but I guess my, my theory was oh, I'm going to put a little prototype together, which we ended up doing in Bondi. So well, what we decided was we didn't have to be, we didn't have to launch everywhere. All we had to do was just be, uh, the a really good service in Bondi, um, in Sydney. And so we got 25 cars in Bondi. We did all of our marketing in Bondi. You know, we did letterbox dropping. We just got a really good little thing going in Bondi. And, and with that, I was then able to, uh, was then able to sort of, Say so, right, here's our little prototype. It works. People are booking the cars. It's all happening. And then we were able to raise our first chunk of money and, and get going that way.
2: Yeah, wow. How many cars are registered on the platform at the moment in Australia? Uh,
0: so, there's 5,500 cars uh, on, on Car CarNext Door in Australia now. So And, and around about 300,000 people have signed up to book them over the years.
2: So, just a question back to you know, that thought of if I'm living in the city, do I need a car or do I just crowdsource one when I need it? Did you have any data or, you know, whether hard or soft data around the environmental impact of car ownership and maybe the problem that you're actually solving? Because it's it's all well and good. You've got all the cars on the platform and maybe the money box side of it mm-hmm. has been ticked. But- Could you quantify that you're ticking the environmental box?
0: Yeah. So the thesis for why this is really good environmentally is um, there's a few parts to it. Uh, Firstly, there's been studies done that show that a a shared car means that if if you put a shared car in a in a neighbourhood, then over time ten people will decide they don't need to buy a car. Uh, Half of a car's carbon emissions are in its manufacture, so by adding shared cars to the community you are actually just stopping a whole bunch of cars getting getting made and the and the embodied energy carbon in in that the second part is that people who car share just drive less so i mean this makes a lot of sense if if you've own a car and you've paid the rego and it's already depreciating whether you use it or not and you know, all of those fixed costs you've already got and you're trying to make the decision about oh right, do I want to go to the shops do a 3K round trip to go to the shops and get some milk, you're pretty much always gonna jump in the car. It's right out there, it costs you barely anything because it's all these fixed costs. Whereas if you're a car share, you're kind of paying per use. And so you make a lot more rational decisions. You, you If it's gonna cost you six or seven bucks to go and get the, the the milk, you will go, oh, well, I actually might walk or ride or, or do something a bit, a bit sensible. So people who car share actually drive 40% less than people who own a car for that
2: reason. And it's good for your health as well.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. It's like we're we're just we're all just you know getting uh, more and more unhealthy and fatter and fatter, and 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 you know we we need to be getting out more. So things that help jog jog our collective uh, memories in order to go and do a bit of exercise, I think, is a good thing. Uh, and then the third thing is on, uh, what we do at Connect Store is we offset all the emissions of when you when you do take a trip, we offset the emissions. So you know that's the three ways that, that we do it. It's The measurement of this stuff is very, very difficult. So it's more of a you know, indicator, but uh, yeah.
2: But I think, and, and that's the thing, right? Like one less car that's actually driving down the road, there's one less 20 minutes of exhaust fumes. So, <coughs> you know, it kind of all compounds, right? Like without being an environmentalist, like less is definitely more for the environment. And then if you go one step further and it's like, well, there's a less car getting made potentially, that's also better. So, have you got any data and you, you might say no to this, but we kind of, you know, particularly in the My Millennial Money group, it's this notion that, well, if you live in a capital city-ish or you've got good networks around and you are actually driving less than five, Five kilometers per year, mm. there's this financial crossover. And please, someone, if you're listening to this and you want to put something in the Facebook group, please do, that it's this real tipping point of, well, it might be better just to ride share or car share or something like that if you are doing under those kilometers. Like, Does Car Next Door have any data around that that you guys draw on?
0: Yeah. So, you, you run the numbers and I know that We've we've done a bit of work with uh, with Uber on this as well. Certainly, once you're in that kind of five thousand kilometer kind of range, even 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 more, it is economically much you much better off economically just to be using a combination of public transport, uh, uh, ride ride hailing like Uber and others, and car next door and ride share, uh, car sharing um, rather than. Rather than owning one, like the, the mass is very simple on that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. People say, Oh, well, you must, you must love, you know, you, you love cars or what's your favorite car? I, like, I hate cars. Like they are. I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm sure that's might be something you've recommended to people over. I read that when I was younger. And, you know, the whole idea that a car is just a depreciating asset makes a lot of sense to me. We've kind of changed that because we we actually turn it into an, an earning asset. But you know, when he wrote it, there was no car sharing. Um, yeah. But yeah, the minute you buy them, they start to depreciate. They're really expensive to keep going. Um, you know, we we want to make a way so that if you've got one, you can you can at least earn some money from it. while you if you if you do want to use it yourself, or if you um or, or if or making making it so that there is really good options for people. So, you don't need one.
2: Yeah. I watched a documentary on YouTube not long ago around and it was in the States, but more around this town planning thing and it was particularly in the States where they don't do a lot of high density uh, living and it just basically means that everyone needs a car where I know I've recently purchased a an investment property that's in a... a a tower and there's a grocery store at the bottom, there's cafes. So, it is this precinct where if you do need some groceries at the last minute, you can just duck downstairs and grab it. Like, you don't have to get in the car or even uh ride share. And the whole premise for this building, uh, it was in Newcastle, was this community thing and there's the train station next door and you didn't really need a car. So, I think as society, and You've probably heard like Elon talk about this stuff with the whole thing at Tesla. It will get to the point where there's actually just cars like going around autonomous. And I don't know if you've visited Google in uh, it's Stan- like around the Stanford campus and whatnot on, on in the Valley. They've got the, like the Google autonomy cars and you kind of just jump in and no one actually owns a car in the future.
0: Yeah, I, I think at some stage... In the next, it's just very hard to know. Like I, at some stage in the future, you'll press a button on whatever device that we're using. Let's just call it a phone for now. A vehicle will come. It'll be pretty much like Uber but no driver. And because there's no driver, it'll be super, super cheap. Um, so you've just got these autonomous vehicles just picking people up, dropping them off, going, picking the next one up. And um, it's going to become, like, I think personal ownership of cars, once that happens, is going to become a thing of the past. Mm. Um, so yeah, and, and and I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the players having got that from Tesla to Uber to, uh, to Google and, you know, probably Amazon and Apple as well. So it's going to be a very interesting period in another, um, whenever ten five, five to five to 20 years when the technology gets there. And just under these, like, I love the sound of that building you're talking about, mm. um, It, it makes me pretty sick. I I live near Berry and they'll, they've just put a new subdivision in, you know, on the other side of Berry. It's a whole bunch of houses and no, not a single shop, uh, not a single cafe, not a, no. And it's just, I just, I hate it when things are designed to need cars. And that's just how a lot of it's done. And it, it sort of breaks my heart a bit every time I see this kind of planning because it's, um, It's horrendous.
2: Yeah. And and it's
0: just not forward thinking.
2: That's right. And I think town planning, I would hope a lot of you listening who are town planners are really like looking at this communal space. And it's even funny, like you look at as a a wild example, like when Frank Lowy peeled off uh, the Westfield shopping centres, I thought he must be, as, and he is a very smart guy because there's actually this trend of not the big shopping centre anymore, but going back to the local community. Like the standalone Harris Farm Market, there's one in Newcastle. And where we are, I think, getting to this tipping point where we don't want to go to the big shopping centre just to get some groceries. We don't want to do that. We're buying online now. So, I think times are changing and they're going back to where they once were, right? And- We've got electric scooters, we've got electric cars, and now we've got car sharing. And just as a segue into the Car Next Door app, it's twofold. So, it's good for those who want to use a car and you might need one temporarily if if you don't own a car or if your car needs to get fixed or repaired for a week or something like that. You can jump in and see that there's one in your area and pay for that and then the other side of the coin, you've got a car, you can list that car. Now, you mentioned Toro before, which is one that started in the States. I actually recently just got back from the States and usually I'll just pick a car up at the airport and jump in and off I go. But this time, you know, post COVID, a lot of the car hiring places, particularly in the States, they offloaded all their cars. So there's this rental car shortage in the States at the moment. So I thought, oh, stuff it. I'm going to use Turo or Toro. And I got a peer to peer car that I borrowed. It was a brand new um, Honda. And it was great, good experience. You didn't have to go. And how funny is like the car hire industry? It's like archaic and they got the old dot matrix printer and it's this big ordeal. It was this seamless thing and I just, I got an Uber to there, the place where the car was, picked the car up and returned it full of fuel and it was happy days. Like, it's actually easy, right?
0: Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. And it's interesting. So, you know, th- those some of those use cases that you just talked about, um, so yeah, definitely people are using us. These are things we didn't kind of think of when we set it up, but the- people are using us as a backup car when, they're, when their cars are the mechanics. But the other things we're finding is people are using us as a second car. So instead of having two cars and the second car, you know, so you've got a family with a few kids or whatever, the second car might only get used once or twice a, a month. They use car next door for the second car for when, you, when you've when got to take a kid in either direction or something like that. The other big one is a huge amount of people own a car but then um, but they need a van or a ute every now and again. And so we've got vans and utes on the platform that that go off, basically. They're, they're busy all the time. Um, and then you've got uh, what we what we thought it would be, which was people just using it as their only car. Uh, so, you know, people actually get rid of their car. They don't have one and, you know, they use it. And then the other use case, which is interesting, I, I've used this a few times myself, is, is when you're on holiday. So you might own a car, but then you go on holidays up to, I went to SeaWorld with my... Family. Um, and yeah, and then we went to Dream World and Movie World and two of the other days. And so we just rented a, you know, a, a people mover from just down the road from where we were and, and, and used that to get, to get there for that. So there's so many different sort of use cases. Yeah. And then on the, on the, on the owner side, I think it's interesting as well because again, when we started Carnick Store, we thought that. The owner was going to be someone who uses their car once or twice a week, and um, you know, but then it's just sitting around for the rest of the time. And so, and and that's definitely where we where we started. But as we grew, we had people who would list a car on our platform just to make like as a, as a money. They like a car lord, like a landlord, but for cars. And they put a car on. They might spend five or six thousand bucks on it, and they get a really good return on it. And then they add another one and another one, and so we've got. Um, yeah, hundreds of people now that we call pro owners who own anywhere between sort of you know two and 150 cars on the platform, and they're kind of yeah they're car lords. Uh, so they're using our platform in order to run a pretty significant fleet of cars and 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 build a build a business.
2: Well, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back, Will, and ask you a heap of practical questions for those who want to list a car and also Okay, Will, rapid fire questions. If I want to list my car on the platform, does it have to be within a certain age? Does it have to have any type of conditions? Uh, Do I have to do anything with my insurance company? I know, well, I assume that people who buy or borrow the car can pay for some type of insurance if they crash it while they're using it. But just on the listing, what are the parameters to list a car? Does it need to be inspected by someone in your team? Do you have to take photos? What's the approval process? All that stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the criteria is the car needs to be younger than two thousand. So it's it can be like you know up to about twenty two years old. Um, the reason for that is we found that we've got some older cars here that are actually in great condition, and we and we so we didn't want to reject them. Um, it needs to be in really good... It needs to be, you know, very safe and there's two ways that we kind of check for that. In the states where where you need to get a mandatory report from the government, then we can obviously go off that and then we actually ask owners to do a safety inspection and, and themselves and declare that it's safe. This other way that we do it is um, each borrower who borrows the car is, is asked, is this car safe? And so... If there's any reports of safety issues, then we take those really seriously and, and and remove them. So, essentially, the process for listing your car is, you know, you, you go to the website. We'll ask you questions: how old the car is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is it safe? Um, then you upload photos of the car. You take some pic, pics of it. Up, upload the pics, and then um, do a description about where it's parked, and you know, and kind of set your pricing and when you want to use it, if at all, and then uh, and then off you go. So it's pretty pretty quick. Like you'd list a car in five or 10 minutes.
2: Do you give people an indication of what uh, a Corolla hatch that's 2018 would be worth per day? Does the platform give people a price guide? Yes.
0: We've got um, – we kind of build a system that picks up all the data from all the different cars and different types of cars and uh, basically – has a look and, and and gives you a price that we think is going to optimize for maximizing your 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 earnings on the platform mm. so typically you know something like a, a 2017 Toyota Corolla you might rent that out for thirty five to forty bucks a day or seven to eight bucks an hour
2: yeah okay now does your for those who want to borrow the car, is there a blanket policy for all cars listed on the platform that there's a group breakdown service like the car next door furnished for all the users?
0: Yeah, so we've got a a deal with um, RACV, which is you know just the the roadside assistance, and that's 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 national. So um, if a car breaks down, then that's 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 an option, and yep, so that that covers the breakdown. I mean, I, and I guess the other one you're asking before is what happens in an accident, how does the insurance work? So essentially, if an owner already is insured with GIO, then they just keep their GIO insurance for their own use. And when the car is rented out to a borrower for that time that it's rented out, we've got a, um, a damage cover that, that that fills in the gap and basically covers any damage that happens from the start of that rental to to, to the time the car's rented we get the borrowers need to take photos at the start and the end of the bookings. And so we've got a clear record of, you know, what the state of the car was at the start and the end. And that's that's kind of the, the guts of how we do it. So essentially you just keep your own insurance and then ours clicks in when when the car is out.
2: Do you ask for people's insurance? Like do they have to have um, insurance to list it on the platform?
0: What insurance they've got for their car when it's not on the platform is really the owner's, owner's business. Yeah. Um, so the thing that matters to us is that if a borrower damages the car when they're driving it, that there's a coverage in place for that and that's what we we organise. So the short answer is no. If you don't have your car insured for yourself, uh, yep. we're still going to provide insurance for the borrower.
2: Yeah, okay, cool, cool. Uh, so you would take a fee. Is, there a, is it a flat fee, a percentage fee uh, for those who want to list their cars on the platform?
0: Yeah, so... Essentially, there's two things you can do. You can list your car, uh, as a key handover car, which means each time someone books your car, you, you meet them and you exchange keys. Uh, if you do that, there's no fees. The other option you can do is you can, uh, we can put some kit in your car, which is like a lock, bo- an electronic lockbox and a GPS tracking device. And if we put that in your car, then you're paying 19 bucks a month for, for that kit. Basically, that's, so we don't make any money can store doesn't make any money unless an owner gets a booking. Essentially, so once um, once an owner gets a booking, then we we basically go sixty. You get sixty percent. We get forty percent of of our forty percent. A fair chunk of that goes into the insurance policy that we've got, and then and then we you know obviously need money to keep the lights on and run the service and market and do all the things we do.
2: Yeah. Okay. So if you rented it out, round numbers. Um, I put my car up, charged $100 for the two days, I would walk, walk away with, what, around 60 bucks.
0: Yeah, that's – yeah. And then the other thing that we do is that we charge um, – the borrowers pay a per kilometre charge. So uh, it's basically the owner chooses what the price is, but essentially um, the borrower might pay $0.33 cents a kilometre that the car goes. That includes petrol, so the owner's paying for petrol. Car next door will will take $0.08 cents of that, so about 20, 20, 20% of that. Um, again, that's, we use that to, to fund the damage cover, and then the borrower, the owner will get $0.25 cents a kilometre in addition to that that rate as well.
2: Yeah, that's interesting because I when and I can only speak from my own personal experience, with the Turo platform, and I don't know if they're in Australia, are they? No, no. Okay, so I'm not. They're not. Yeah, talking about a competitor on a a show that you're <laughs> uh, you're, you're on, but um, no. they had for the for the two weeks that I hired it, it had mm. two thousand miles included in that fee. Do you yep. have a base, you know, thousand kilometers or five hundred kilometers included in the in the in the deal?
0: Not at the moment, but that's something we're we're looking at doing. Sort of having a the the thing. Basically, what they do is. Let's just say for, just to use an example, you're $50 a day, $100 for two day example before. If our car is $50 a day, but you're paying 33 cents a kilometer, the borrower's paying 33 cents a kilometer on Turo, you're probably paying 70 or $80 a day for that car. So they're basically building in a kilometer rate, but it's just built into the day rate.
2: So yeah, but I would say as a a user, there's less friction for me to book if it's just a flat fee based on up to 3,000 miles yeah um, yeah and
0: and uh, I agree with you and we are planning on making changes yeah cool with that I think that I mean this is probably getting a bit technical
2: ah let's go there if, if,
0: if you're if you're borrowing a car for let's say you're borrowing a car for one hour then uh, and it costs six dollars an hour and you're gonna go ten kilometers we don't want you to have to go and fill up a petrol, the pet, you, we don't want you to have to go and put, you know, 40 cents of petrol in because you've gone 10 kilometres. Mm. So I think it actually makes a lot of sense on shorter trips, like when you're sort of in, you know, hours mm. to in, to charge a kilometre rate and just so the borrower doesn't have to worry about that. Once you get into trips that are, you know, a day long or two days or three days, you're probably going to have to refuel anyway. And so the model of um, not including petrol, but you've just got to return it, you know, return the tank, uh, full makes mm. a lot more sense then, and to to do that sort of model. So we're kind of most likely going to move down to the path where for where shorter trips you you, you get your kilometres included, uh, or you're paying per kilometre. But in longer trips, you um
2: you just you know you've got a set number of kilometres that you can use. Is there a rating system on Car Next Door for the borrower and the lender? Yeah. So each each uh,
0: at the end of each booking, the borrower rates the car um gives it a thumbs up or thumbs down and the and the and the owner rates the borrower so um that's a big part of what our platform does is to get that feedback so that the next user can kind of see from other people what what you know what they thought of the car or um and if a if an owner actually gives a borrower a thumbs down the the borrower cannot borrow that car again and you know if 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 a borrower gets a few thumbs down we'll most likely, boot them off because we'll cancel you, know. you in this cancel <laughs> culture. Um,
1: yeah, <laughs> we'll I mean, the, the, issue that,
0: the issue that the issue we've got as a platform, and a thing that we've kind of learned painfully over the over the years, is if if you let, um, let's just say, let's say Google lets a bit of a turd onto Gmail, um, they're not going to do much damage. But you let you let a bad user onto Canx Store, and and that's that's ten thousand bucks worth of damage or theft or you know, so we have to be very careful about, um, about who, who we let
2: on. So question, and this is for my own curiosity. If I borrowed a car from car next door or crowd borrowed car or whatever you call it, crowd shared Mm -hmm. car, there's an assumption that I'll take it back full or not because like who fills it up? At some point someone's got to fill it up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the way that we do it, uh, is because the borrower is paying per kilometre, the borrower just drives, whoever's driving the vehicle when it goes below a quarter of a tank is responsible for filling it up. But no matter who fills it up, whether it's the borrower, if a borrower fills it up, then we've got a system where they upload the receipt and straight away, we we take it off their booking amount.
2: Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. That, okay. That yeah. totally. Uh, so cause I just so they to just get, get the they
0: get, re- so the borrower pays for it and then it just gets reimbursed straight yeah, away.
2: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And then, secondly, is there an expectation that the car needs to be clean or anything like that when it's returned? It's kind of like
0: leave it how you found it. Yeah. And so the expectation would be that the car would be, in the kind of condition that you would expect a car that gets used a fair bit to, to be in. So if there's a little bit of grass or whatever on the foot, foot, you know, in the foot bays mm-hmm. or whatever they're called, that's, that's fine. If, if, you, if you've left a, a full burger in the, um, <laughs> on the passenger seat, that's, that's a problem. So, you know, pick up any rubbish that you've got. And then, so that's, that's the general aim with the cleaning. And then, the owner is also expected to give it a proper clean every you know, every month um, yeah, or so, so in addition to that.
2: I asked this question selfishly and I know it's not your platform, but so when I hired the crowd car on Turo, right, mm. there was this um, company and they, you know, they were like the person you talked about, he was a Smash Repairs or a panel shop or something mm. like that mm. and it was a brand new, like when I got it, it had... 2,000 miles on it. Like, it was a brand new 2022 Honda HRV or something. And yeah. I walked in, I'm like, like, this is a smash repairs. Like, has this been in a write-off or is it a wreck already? And the dude's like, oh, no, my boss just bought it to put on the platform, right? Right. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Well, I've got a brand new car. So, anyway, cruising around and it was snowing and raining and all that stuff. And, I'm, and I dropped it back unwashed. Because I'm like, well, you'd think they would clean the car before it goes out again. Took all the rubbish out of it. There was a little bit of scuff and dirt on the back mm. floor. Mud, yeah. if you will. Like just a little bit. Like anything of vacuum or whatever could clean. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, if I hire a car from Avis or whatever, I can take it back like that and they clean it, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I got the email. They're like, "Oh, so and so's left you a rating." I'm like, "Oh, that's sweet." I'll drop in, jumped in, five star. Hey, great service and all that it was fantastic. The bastard gave me four stars. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> "What?" So yeah, and and this yeah, and, and and I think I guess what I'm getting at is back to at the start, we've got new technology and new standards that we need to teach people. If it was a pick it up, how you left it. I would have went to the equivalent of car lovers and given it a good one over, but I honestly thought, well, I'm paying you friggin' fourteen hundred dollars over the last however long. Yeah. I. Do you guys? Yeah. Clean so,
0: it? so I think I think that's a really it's a really good um, pickup. and I, I think that the really I think the role of a platform that because that's what Car Next Door is, that's what Turo is, is um, to set. The appropriate to clearly set the appropriate expectations at the right time to to the to the users on both sides. Yeah. So you you as the borrower needed to know. It sounded like there was a, a bit of missing information there about what the I, expectations were. I don't read stuff. Were. I
2: just vibe it out. So it might have yeah. been in. There. <laughs> they <laughs>
0: might have told you. you might I'm too scared up. to go
2: and look at the conditions, but yeah. it wasn't clear. Like they could have left a bit of paper on the dash. Yes. And I know that's but old yeah, school then, and archaic. Okay, okay. Yes,
0: that gets tricky as well because, you know, how do you, it's pretty hard to go leaving every single um, bit of information as a piece of paper on every dash of the car. We try to, we try to, we try to solve things di- digitally. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've got a things you need to know about this car section when you, when you jump into the car. So the owner can kind of list out any funky stuff about the car that you need to know or, when you return the car, we sort of step borrowers through, right, here's what you need to consider as, you step, as you're returning the car so that it's really clear what the standards are mm. and then you can um, you can work out what you want to do with relation to the standards after that. But, yeah, ideally you shouldn't get caught by surprise like you did.
2: I just thought it was a bit, yeah. But, I, again, I just didn't know.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's, that's a decision that that particular owner made in order to... Um, yeah, because you, know, you might have got the next owner who's like, ah, oh, I don't care about that.
2: You know, I'm going to clean it anyway. Yeah, so, exactly. So, and and that's kind of you know, I'll see if I can increase my average rating next time. Yeah, um, but like well, he
0: it's, it's, only gave you a four. That's kind of the good. What we've got on ours is um, we've got a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It's like don't don't go and don't give us all the detail. It's like, would you rent to this borrower again? And um, that guy would have had to give you a thumbs up because yeah yeah the car was a little bit messy but he mm. basically he would have rented to you again because you're a good borrower so um, we kind of wanted to get rid of all the you know the grey it's like is this per- would you rent to him again or not would you borrow this car again or not yeah and uh, so
2: that's that's where we're at with the thumbs up thumbs down yeah look I think it's a it's a good platform and I'd encourage anyway and we'll put a link in the show notes to the Car door website. But if you are interested in, and this is what I would say, Will, like to anyone who lives in a metropolitan area who uses public transport for work anyway, if you're like, look, I'm going to try this and you thought, you know what, I've got some debt, I own my car, I'm going to sell the car, I'm going to pay down some debt and I'm just going to try this thing I'll look at the map and see if there's some actual cars within walking distance from me. Give it a try. If it doesn't work, you can always go and buy another car or just try it before you sell your car and just get familiar with the experience. Conversely, I would say to you, if you do have a second car or if you are that person and own a car and want to easily make some coin, uh, it could be a good way. Now, you got you got me thinking before where you retrofit the car with something. So is there a, a thing you physically install in the door that unlocks it or...? No, it's it's
0: it's it's pretty simple. Uh, essentially, there's two things we put in the car or the owner puts in their car. The one is just a GPS tracking device that gets mm-hmm. plugged into a power source in the car. Yep. Uh, so that takes 10 seconds. And then the other is a electronic lockbox. So you essentially... Put the lockbox on the window of your car or on the property, and if you put it on the window of your car, then it's got this bracket that sits on top of your window, and you put the lockbox on. You wind your window up, and it kind of locks it into place.
2: I've actually so, seen those. Yeah,
0: yeah. So that's that's the two. That's the, And then you know, when, when a borrower books a the car, they get the code for the lockbox for that for that for that day. Uh, they walk up to the lockbox, put the code in, unlock it, get the key out, then off they off they go. So, it's pretty, pretty kind of simple. The owner can stick it on themselves in a very short period of time.
2: Yeah. Or stick yeah. it on their
0: house, you know, as well or their, their front fence or wherever.
2: And it actually, I, and I haven't told you, Will, but I had a second car once and I actually listed it on car next door and right. I, it was good because you can actually block out that I, I don't want to rent it out on weekends or if you've got an mm. event coming up that you need that car for. You can just block that out. Uh, so, I, I actually, I might try it because I've got a Ford Ranger that I only use for the boat that just sits out the front of my house. I probably should put that yeah. on.
0: Yeah, my uncle's got a, uh, a like a similar sized car to that on the platform in Melbourne, and and he uses he uses it a bit himself, but uh, it's in constant use uh, when he's not when he's not using it. Mm. And the other, I mean, the the other big use case which. I think is pretty interesting for potentially for your listener base is this kind of pro owner or sort of car landlord I- idea, where because the beautiful thing about a car, if you compare it to a property, is you can get a car for you know three to fifteen thousand dollars. It's a it's a it's a very achievable asset. Rather than having to buy, you know, an entry level property, you might spend five to five hundred grand to two million bucks or whatever, and and then from that you can you can rent it out, and a lot of our owners are earning after depreciation and everything twenty to thirty percent, or even forty percent, fifty percent in some cases, uh, return on it. You go and do that ten times, and and you can actually create quite a good sort of income stream uh, and you, you you spend a bit of time, you know, looking after the cars and doing all that sort of stuff. But it's it's a it's a different way of dipping your toe into the world of uh, entrepreneurship without needing to go the whole hog, sort of utilising the, the hard work that's been done on the platform.
2: And a question just around the practicalities. If I list a car, Car Nextdoor will ask me for the registration details because need to make sure it's registered. Do they prompt yep. you like every year to say, please tick this box or upload if it's registered again or how do we keep that quality control? So because it's so like I was talking to someone the other day, they will cruising around and they got fined by the police for not having a registered car and they just totally missed it. And like, is there any catch-all mechanisms like that?
0: Yeah, we, we've we got a system in place where we, we check the rego of your car. We know which day the rego is going to be. <sighs> you know redone which which month and we send reminders to the owners and if they haven't updated the rego by that date then we we take the car off the platform so yeah that's not something that can happen pretty yeah. unpleasant experience for a borrower to be borrowing a car and
2: cop a massive fine absolutely well look i found you know we've been talking quite a while now and i found it quite fascinating uh, I think we should disclose. We've mentioned Uber in this episode. Uh, just tell us Uber's involvement now, and I guess the good news story from you personally around what you've built in Uber.
0: Yeah, so it's. I mean, it's probably less of a disclosure, but uh, yeah, I guess it's a pretty big development in in what's yeah. um what's ha- what's happened. Essentially, I mean, everyone. I'm sure everyone knows Uber. If you're looking to go a short distance or for a short time, um, Uber just has this amazing product that everyone is using. You know, millions and millions of people in Australia are, are jumping into an Uber all the time. But they kind of recognise that that if you're going to take a trip, say longer than twenty minutes or longer than twenty k's or something like that, they really didn't. They just didn't have any any or well, many options for that, and so. We've, we've, they're actually acquired, uh, Car Next Door a month and a half ago. So pretty, pretty recently. Uh, and what they're, what they're looking to put together is a, I guess a platform where you, no matter what trip you're trying to take, whether it's a, a trip around the corner and you can, you can jump on a, on a bike, which they've also got available or a scooter in some cities, um, to their regular ride sharing for those medium sized trips and one way trips, right through to, all right, I want to go away for, for you know, two days, or I want to go for away for a week. Um, they want to have that all in one place, and so uh, you know, they've they've acquired Car Next Door, and we're going to be part of that solution for for the longer for the longer trips. And from Car Next Door's perspective, it's it's really exciting because as I, as I mentioned, I set up Car Next Door, and and most of the people who joined the team joined Car Next Door um, in order to make a really big impact on the environment and. Reduce carbon emissions, and if we can get access to that huge Uber user base and really start ramping up the scale of it and getting a lot more people, basically, basically, Uber's Uber's goal and our goal is very similar in that we're both we're both trying to get rid of cars. Like we, we want to get rid of car ownership, essentially, both of us. And um, and I think we're much better doing that together, so that we can cover the full range of uh, of trips.
2: Yeah. Well I, I just think it's it's a great Aussie success story for you and you should be proud for what you and your team have done and also by taking some chips off the table because, you know, that's the ultimate thing, right? You've created this thing that will have legacy.
0: Yeah. Look, I'm I'm yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of stress that comes from running a, a, a high growth, high risk startup, uh for and I've been at it now for ten years. So I'm definitely excited to be doing this with Uber. Also excited to sort of take a little bit of the all of the pressure off 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 the shoulders mm. um as well.
2: Yeah. All right. Well well, we might leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us uh today on My Millennial Money and really talking about your child, uh your first child or your third child, whatever way you want to look at that, because it certainly was a baby, right?
0: It was actually, yeah, it was, my, it was my first... It just beat my first child. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've got four children.
2: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for uh, sharing the Car Next Door story. And we, I really encourage anyone to have a look at the platform and I might even revisit it for my, my Ranger now uh, because a lot of the time with cars, right, and motor vehicles lack of use can be worse than overuse particularly around the wear and tear because you don't want stuff just sitting there um, like it needs to be moving so mm. it's it's not a bad preventative maintenance thing to have a car running once a week if, you, if it's your second car that you don't use or whatever if it's your only car and you don't use it because you commute via the train or the bus so thank you so much Will and uh, yeah we'll all check out Car Next Door
0: Fantastic thanks very much Glenn great to speak